Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This is The Last Laugh. I'm Matt Wilstein from The Daily Beast, and with the fifth and final season of one of my favorite shows, Better Things, premiering on FX and Hulu this coming Monday night, I want to share with you my incredible conversation with the star and creator, Pamela Adlon. Oddly enough, this episode originally aired exactly two years ago today, but it feels like it's been a lot longer. That's because Pamela was the very last guest I talked to in the studio before everything went remote in March of 2020. And I really could not have had more fun getting to hang out with her in person and talk about everything from the origins of Better Things to her extensive voice work on shows like King of the Hill to some truly wild stories about her early days as a child actor. And yes, we did also get into her very complicated relationship with Louis C.K. So while you wait for Better Things to return next week, please enjoy my conversation with Pamela Adlon. Yesterday I did Big Mouth at Margarita Mix, and then I went from one room to two rooms down, and I did my bumpers. Is that your first time doing Big Mouth? Have you done it before? I haven't done Big Mouth. Oh, that's so fun. I have no idea. I know they're working on like, yeah, they're working on multiple at the same time, or they because they they got picked up for like three more. They're working on oh. So I think they're working on like four and five at the same time right now. Sound good. Oh, do you want me to have this? Is this Only better? if you want. Okay, Only if you like want. it. All I know is that I was dying to do it. Like, yeah. I, I know that, like, I was up for being a hormone monster at a certain point. Oh, wow. And then that went away, and then this, this part came up. I'm a love bug. Mm-hmm. And um, I just think the show is so brilliant. Yeah. And Erica, who works with me, she's a grown woman, and she says she learned learns so much from the show <laughs> but the animation is so good yeah it's a really great show it's, it's really like good. it's like better than it you would think it should be yeah <laughs> i really like it um but i love your show thank you and i just got to watch the first six of the new season you did yes which okay. was amazing as always it's but, so uh... <laughs> fun to to talk to somebody who knows what i've just yeah. put out you yeah. know um, no, it was, it was really, really wonderful. And I, I've loved the show from the beginning. Um, but, That's awesome. but it's just, I feel like it just keeps getting better. So I, I, I love it. Um, thank you. The first thing I noticed, uh, that we might have in common from the first episode is a, a shared love of LA rain, which yeah. is a, a special thing, which yeah. is a, a rare thing, but, uh, <laughs> I, I just you capture re- it well. In you the, know, in it's so funny because people episode. do when it rains here, they're like, Oh, the weather's so shitty. I'm like, are you insane? Yeah. What what is shitty about this? <laughs> but I was very inspired by all the rain that we had last year. Yeah. Because to me, I felt like it was almost like I did a rain dance and I caused it mm-hmm. because I was in I was in quite a bit of agony because 
we were in a fire area and mm-hmm. we had to evacuate yeah. and it just felt like the world was on fire for a long time. Yeah. Did anything happen to your house or you just had to no, evacuate? No, thank God we're okay. It, it, yeah, that's good. I mean, when we had to evacuate, I remember my mom calling me and she lives next door mm-hmm. for real. And she said, uh, the, the fire's at the scurble. <laughs> and I was like, oh shit. And one of my daughters was on her way to school Mm -hmm. already. And I said, you got to turn around. You're not going to get on the 405. And so we all had to pack up. And I kind of just stood in my house and I looked around and I was like, what do I get? And the girls were frenzied. They were like getting all their vinyl and all their clothes. And I just stood there and I went, okay, all I want is the girls, Mm -hmm. the dogs, the crazy lady who lives next door, my mother. (laughs) And I was like, I'm going to grab the passports, my computers, and that's it. Yeah, it really puts it in perspective of what you actually... Because in, in in the abstract, when you think about it, you're like, oh, I would need to grab all this, these things, and yeah, I'm sure in the moment... Yeah, I'm looking at the painting in my bedroom, which is uh, twice the size of the room that we're sitting in mm-hmm. right now, and I'm like, well, I can't take her, <laughs> yeah. so and nobody would be able to get that out. It would take no. hours, so yeah. you just kind of look at what you have and say, what am I scrambling for? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You want your family and you want to be able to get the fuck out of the country if you need to. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, So going into this uh, fourth season of better things, were were there kind of besides the rain, were there big ideas or themes that you were like, I really want to try to explore this, this season? Yeah, I, I did. I, I feel like I had themes this season for the first time, mm. you know, and I put on the storyboard, like on the tiles, I just wrote certain things. One of them was divorce is contagious. <laughs> um, on another tile, we wrote togetherness. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, another one, couples together. And uh, another one, rain. Yeah. And another one, forgiveness. Mm. Those were my themes. For- yeah the season and how how did you how did how does it go from those cards and those themes to you know stories um it's you know it it's so interesting because we we all start talking in Mm -hmm. the room and we'll start a day i'll say what are the five most uncomfortable things that have happened to you regarding your uh sobriety your kids your this Mm -hmm. your that you know to each and every one individually. And so um, you keep looking back at those cards and say, uh, what does this go to? And then you forget about those initial cards. Mm -hmm. And somehow the season all intersects and comes together. Oh my God. Well, this is incredible to see this shake out in this way. There's something that happens in the finale, um, which uh, goes back to, two seasons ago oh, wow. and um, being able to kind of uh, connect everything in an organic way is the most fun game mm-hmm. for me yeah. as opposed to it being extremely clinical mm-hmm. and we need to insert this here and insert this here. And, you know, um, the, the, the connections are like living, breathing things. And then, it's a discovery for me. Oh my God, this is all working because of that. Yeah. 
and that. Yeah. I mean, you've given yourself a lot of freedom with the show, too, I think, because it kind of can be anything and episodes can be anything in terms of tone and in terms of, um, you know, story and who's who's in which episodes and and all Mm -hmm. that. Um, There was a quote that I read that you said, um, I always have to remember remember that my show is a comedy. Yeah. Um, Can you talk about that a little more and how you because it, it is a comedy and it's very funny, but it's also sometimes not funny and it's sometimes very emotional and it's and it does, you know, which has become, I think, somewhat of a trend in recent years in, in shows of, of doesn't have to be all one thing. But well, I think your show really exemplifies that. Well, uh, it, it's the case with everything. Uh, I feel like everybody is a little bit hobbled by extremes mm-hmm. and labels. Yeah. And so this is kind of one of the final frontiers of labeling is, um, you know, television. Mm -hmm. And it struck me years ago when I was at the Emmys and uh, I think it was House of Cards was nominated. uh, And I was like, wow, that's not even a TV show. Yeah. This isn't even television anymore. Mm. And so that's one thing. Yeah. Not even comedy drama, but just whether some like what is television? Exactly. Like it's all this weird anachronistic, Mm -hmm. bizarre. Like, so you're a comedy, you're a drama, Mm -hmm. uh, best actress, best actor. I mean, how? I can't believe that that's still going. The best actress, best actor. (laughs) Like, I mean, and it's just, it seems incredibly unfair. Like there was one yeah. one season where Orange is the New Black was a drama and then they switched it to mm-hmm. a comedy. So I don't know what assignation I would give my show. Yeah. But I, I've always say it's the incredible feeling show. Mm-hmm. Um, so whatever you want to call it, I, I just think that there should be new non labels mm-hmm. yeah. for things like it's a show yeah. you know it's 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 a show and what i'm trying to make is just something great filmically to mm-hmm. get invested in that uh you know i like things to feel real and authentic and i th- like things to look cool mm-hmm. and i like things to sound cool like yeah. in my aesthetic so um but when we're shooting the show you know, and like half my crew's in tears and mm-hmm. I'm like, you guys were not making a comedy. <laughs> but um, I remind myself, uh, I have to remind myself because if I have a bunch of kids on the set mm-hmm. and we're shooting a scene, I'll kind of step out of myself and think, oh shit, this is a Nickelodeon show right now. <laughs> I have to switch it up mm-hmm. and get raw and spiky because this is that you don't want better to things drift show. into that. Exactly. If you know you have something there, when I have my scripts, all my anxiety goes away mm-hmm. um, until they start, you know, beating me up about my budget. But yeah. that's another story. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, one episode that I loved that I'm sure stretched the, the budget was the New Orleans episode, which I know we probably don't want to spoil anything about it specifically. Right. But I did want to ask what it was like to go uh, shoot in New Orleans because it's just there's so much life in that episode. And um, oh, God, it's beautiful. I, I thank you so much. I, I love it. I love it. So it's one of my favorite things yeah. I've ever done. You know, it's my love letter mm-hmm. to the city of New Orleans. Yeah. And then I got to put these different storylines in there Mm. and um that's something that's been uh kind of driving me with the show like 
last season, I wanted to shoot at the Apple Pan. I mm-hmm. was desperate to shoot there. <laughs> yeah. And uh, my first AD, Sally Sue, was begging me. She was like, please don't. Can we, because we block shoot, so mm-hmm. it's all about locations. Yeah. And we're going to be like way in the valley. Like, yeah. can we go to Pasadena? Can we yeah. go to Pine It was just Burger? way out of the way and way exactly. too difficult. Yeah. And, yeah. And I... I was like, well, I don't have a connection to Pie and Burger. I have yeah. a connection to Apple Pan. Yeah. It's one of the first places I went when mm-hmm. I moved to California with my family. And it's still there. Mm-hmm. And it's it's fought all these behemoth buildings. And it's this little tiny yeah. house. And so um, it was that for me with New Orleans. I was very inspired by the city when I went there and I went there for my friend's wedding mm-hmm. and I kind of put a wedding there and yeah. was um, that your first time going for the no, in real life for the wedding no. it wasn't uh, it was my second time mm-hmm. and my third time going was shooting yeah. the episode there but we shot half of it in L- in LA yeah 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 I was wondering about that but you I mean but you can tell that you're there in New Orleans too yeah. um how long were you there shooting Three days. Yeah. Wow. You must have had to do a lot in those it was three days. Fucking insane. Yeah. It was crazy. Like I, I shot <clears throat> this one day. We shot a scene at Preservation Hall, mm-hmm. and then we ran out and, and I shot this scene on the street in the French Quarter, stepping over the guy who's half in mm-hmm. and half out of the store. Mm-hmm. Um, then I ran into that store, changed my clothes, and had to run down to Jackson Square while pulling my pants up. <laughs> and I got out of the van, and I, uh, Andre, who was one of my uh, PAs, he just said, <clears throat> three, two, one, and... And then it was me with second line <laughs> running through the streets. And my first AD, Maria, hands me a beer yeah. in the giant cup. It was nuts. That is wild. And I had no idea what I was getting into. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Um, one of the other real pleasures of the show has been watching the three actresses who play your daughters, you know, grow up over time now, mm-hmm. um, over these past few years. Um, what has that been like for you to kind of work with them, cast them from the beginning and see where they've, you know, sort of how far they've come and how much they've grown up um, uh, on the show? It's really cool. You know, um, my... My real life daughters helped me pick yeah their kind of yeah kind of counterparts yeah. quote unquote um and it's shocking to see how much Olivia has changed mm-hmm. and it's it's really fun because I you know what I just am realizing something right now when people binge watch the show they're actually seeing yeah. these kids morph mm mm-hmm. mhm that Very is so quickly, cool. Yeah. yeah, Olivia's the the youngest, the baby. Duke, yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, they just have whatever they have learned becomes their tools, mm-hmm. and um, I guess the person who changed the most from season one to season two was Hannah, mm-hmm. because I plucked her right out of the Bible Belt and really? threw her right into. <laughs> You know, she not acted before. She had acted. She played the young Cara Delevingne in this movie called Paper Towns, mm. and um, but she was really, you know, just this raw clay. Yeah, you know, and she and, plays Frankie. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And so, you know, where she went from season one, 
um, <clears throat> to season two, which her first scene was the bar mitzvah episode where she's kind of like mm-hmm. breaking me mm-hmm. down in my ear. Yeah. Um, was incredible. Listen, I have some ideas for jobs you can maybe look for when your career ends horribly. Like you could work at McDonald's as a vomit cleaner or, or, you know those places where they take everybody's shit in the whole city and they chemically separate it into fertilizer and drinking mm-hmm. water? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You could work at one of those. You could be a shit sorter. That would be a great job for an old, bald lady. Right? She's incredibly tough, the character. <laughs> she is, and she does not like to be mean to me. Really? So, um... You have to force her to be mean to you? Yeah, last season, when her character ran away, um, her dad, Clay, and I had this conversation, and Clay said, I think Hannah's having a hard time being mean to you. <laughs> and so I had to say That's to her, sweet. Hannah, it's not me. Yeah. And, you know, it's just, we're just telling a story. Mm-hmm. And, uh... But still, you know, she's she's just such a kind-hearted person. Um, but yeah, it's really been um, a- incredible being able to help these three girls get to the places that they've they they are, mm-hmm. and to um, really kind of um, make these characters with them and and support them in in their journeys. You had never directed before Better Things, right? Um, I actually, I had directed, Mm -hmm. um, but my own stuff, like, like my little Mm -hmm. doco stuff. And I directed a documentary, um, you know, when I was a teenager Mm -hmm. that we shot on 16 millimeter and cut on 16 millimeter. Yeah. Um, and I, I was in this MTV video contest. Madonna challenged everybody. (laughs) She, she was like, go ahead, make my video. And it was for the song true blue. So we were, we were top 10 and that was a thrill. (laughs) But, um, yeah, this was really the first. Yeah. On a different scale. Exactly. And that was due to, you know, FX being, supportive and encouraging Mm -hmm. and i don't know if it was i always say that it was kind of exactly the right time Mm -hmm. for my show and me yeah and that if i had done it a year earlier it wouldn't have happened and if i had tried if i pushed it off for another year it wouldn't have happened Mm -hmm. it was just the right sweet spot you know um it was time for i i feel like my network wanted to support a female mm-hmm. filmmaker and um they took a gamble on me directing yeah. at was all was that something that you went in with and said you know if i'm going to do this show i want to direct i knew I, I was afraid of it like i didn't know that i could do it mm-hmm. you know i wasn't that crazy to be so overconfident because i have so much to learn yeah. in everything i do um so I just was like, okay, I'll direct one or two, mm-hmm. season one. See how it goes. You know, but I, I mean, I was in there the whole time. And then, you know, just the rest is history, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, I mean, as a showrunner and a director, you know, I've read about how your set is maybe different from others that you've been on or others that exist. Um, can you talk about that a little bit, about how you've kind of tried to bring some I guess of your own um, priorities and and personality to the to the set that you yeah I'm it 
the way I run my set is the way I was basically shaped as an actor. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I would have liked to have seen, mm-hmm. um, you know, being just somebody who was there um, and the way I can be of service is not have these crazy long days mm-hmm. um, because that's really a nightmare. Like you, you just a Friday turns into a Saturday. They call it a fratter day. And, you know, I remember I did an arc on Boston legal and the craft service was so you know, out of this world. It was like four hot pots going at one time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a fed crew is a happy crew. Mm -hmm. And I just know that you have to be good to your crew and you have to be good to your actors and not take them for granted. And, and so above all else, I'm a mommy. So, you know, that my crew or my kids and, and my, my actors, you know, are my gifts. And so I like to take care of them. Um, I just did an episode of a big like network show Mm -hmm. and we spent an entire day shooting like one scene. Yeah. And I was looking around going, what the fuck? Like, (laughs) really? We can do this. And it was incredible. And it felt like I was doing a play. Mm hmm. Um, Did it make you wish that you had that amount of time on your show or would you, is it just so different? Of course there's that. But I also, if I have some constraints, then, you know, let's see what we do. And am I really interested in in doing 5,000 different angles and lenses on Mm -hmm. one setup? Not really. Yeah, that's not how you guys do it. I no, mean, we're yeah. like run and gun, and I like mm-hmm. that kind of gorilla. Yeah, I've been, I've visited a bunch of sets, and it's usually, you know, if you're there for one day, you see about, you know, 30 seconds of a scene. Yeah, like I don't want, <laughs> exactly, I don't want to be sitting, I don't want my actors, and I don't want to be sitting somewhere reading a book or, mm. or like time is just ticking by and people aren't being utilized. Um, no. Yeah. Yeah. Um, when you set out to do this show, were there things that you were thinking about, like that you wanted to put on television that you hadn't seen on television? I hadn't really seen, you know, my kind of lady mm-hmm. person represented on TV, you know, like somebody who was like uh, middle aged and not wearing like. Louboutins and stuff mm-hmm. like that, like just being regular. Yeah. Um, and uh, I, I guess, I mean, that was the gamble at first when it, we were coming up with the concept for the show. I was like, oh, I can't be myself. I have to create something and mm-hmm. and make up some, you know. Oh, I have a gay brother who lives in the back house. That'll be funny hijinks. Yeah. And then. I have, um, you know, maybe I'm a manicurist and, you know, what happened to the father of these girls? Did he, maybe he disappeared on a, on an island, like a Livy Newton, John's <laughs> husband, you know, or, I mean, these are all the things yeah. and I'm trying to heighten it or make it a, exactly. a concept or, yeah. But, you know, my dad was a writer and he always said, write what you know. Yeah. And so if you if you run away from the things that are close to you or make you uncomfortable, the writing's not going to resonate. Coming up, how Pamela broke into the part of the entertainment industry that completely transformed her career. So 
mentioning your your dad and you grew up in a, a showbiz family, right? Um, to yeah. some degree. I guess. <laughs> yeah. Um, were you kind of encouraged from an early age to go into uh, acting or discouraged? Or how, how did that kind of play out for you? You know, my parents were, uh, they never uh, bar- said you can't do this. I, I, I literally like took out a phone book when I was... I don't know, 11, and I sat my parents down. I said, I made an appointment with an agent. Mm -hmm. I want to get an agent. I want to act. And it was something that, you know, I really caught the bug from being on sound stages with my dad. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, a lot of people who are in our business, who may be actors or whatever, um, <clears throat> when I would say to them, you know, my kids want to act like my my oldest daughter Gideon's acting mm-hmm. and Odessa, my middle daughter, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, Rocky's good too, but she, I don't think she wants to do what her sisters <laughs> are doing. But people would say when the girls were little, oh, you're going to let them do that, and I would be like, why wouldn't I? Yeah. Um, a, I'd be a hypocrite because mm-hmm. it's the business I'm in, and B, you want your kids to have passion you want Mm -hmm. your kids to want to do things you don't want to shut down those those passions exactly so um i would be like you anything you want to do have at i have Mm -hmm. you know one line you know what i mean like the worst thing imaginable like nazi porn or whatever that would be (laughs) my line the line yeah (laughs) um what were some of the earliest things that you did i i i read that you did some early voiceover stuff with your, on the radio with your with your dad? Is that sort of how you got into uh, you voiceover know, work? It wasn't with my dad, mm-hmm. but it was with one of his, the you know, workmate mm-hmm. cronies or something. And it was uh, a place that I look at almost every single day on Cahuenga, and it used to be called uh, Burton Bars Company, mm-hmm. and you know where the overpass is, and there's a whole tent city under there. Uh, yeah. As you're going up to the freeway and the, the Nipsey Russell, mm-hmm. the beautiful murals there, that was the building I did wow. my first <laughs> voiceovers. <laughs> and it was just because we came to California to visit and uh, Barsman asked my dad, can your daughter do this voice? And I think I was nine years yeah. old. Yeah. And what was it, the the voice? It was for the California Aqueduct. Hmm. And I had to be a valley girl, which is hilarious because I was a little girl were, from New York. Yeah. But I had to like talk like this. And I didn't even know that, you know, yeah. so. How did you know how to do that? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. It was some kind of star man thing, yeah. maybe. Um, you know, voiceover and animation has obviously been a huge part of your career. How did you get into animation for the first time? I was dying to get into it because mm-hmm. I was doing like a ton of radio. Yeah. My first animated show was Rugrats, you know, and I was a guest star. Classic. Classic. I grew up watching Rugrats. And it was, we did it at Klasky Chupo on Highland, mm-hmm. which I think they still have the building with the murals on the side by the Little oh, Red yeah. Schoolhouse. This episode of The Last Laugh is brought to you by Kachava. If you want to eat healthier in 2022, this just might be the easiest way to do it. Kachava has been called the cleanest, most nutrient-dense meal imaginable, loaded with over 70 superfoods and nutrients. 
We're talking about makaru, chia seeds, sacha inchi, kamu kamu, maki berry, acai, coconut. Just go check out the entire ingredient list yourself. It's really impressive. The team over at Kachaba have spent the last decade obsessing and perfecting this one product, and you can really tell. They started this in the jungle on the side of a mountain during a health retreat, and now it's starting to really blow up. Their mission is to bring together the world's best superfoods into a single, ready-to-go meal to help busy people stay healthy on the go. I've been enjoying my cachava, and now we've got a deal so you can try it yourself. Cachava is offering 10% off for listeners of this podcast. Just go to cachava.com slash laugh to get 10% off your order. That's 10% off at cachava.com slash laugh. And I remember going there, and it was E.G. Daly, Cree Summer, Kath Susie, Christine Cavanaugh, rest in peace. Um, mm. And I would look around at them and, like, back— Would everyone and, record together, the scenes? Yeah. Well, we would record together and go in and out, but mm-hmm. we were there together, mm-hmm. and there was, like, no cell phones, so there was, like, a little green room where everybody hung out. And, mm-hmm. and I looked at them, and I was like, this is it. Yeah. I want to do this. <laughs> and um, I got so overexcited when I was able to do the the cartoons. Mm-hmm. And then I would go back to radio. I literally could not get my foot in the door with animation. Mm-hmm. And then, boom, I started doing the animation. And then I couldn't do the other thing. Yeah, It's either, you know, radio or animation. Mm-hmm. It's hard to... Do both? Yeah, for some reason. So... I started doing all of the the cartoons and and the animation. What did you love about doing animation as opposed to doing, you know, on-screen work? You know, it's just there's uh, there's an ease to it and you 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 take being self-conscious away. Of course you could be self-conscious if you're in a room with like titans like Kevin Michael Richardson and Billy West and Jim Cummings. You have to bring it all. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So you can't be shy uh, and you've got to be willing to try things. But um, it just it, there's a comfort to being in a dark yeah. <laughs> room and, um, you know, and you don't have to worry about anything. I mean, I, I went through all three of my pregnancies. Mm-hmm. I went through. <laughs> um, I I endured. Yeah. <clears throat> Um, you, while I was doing King of the Hill mm-hmm. plus multiple Disney shows and was able to just keep working mm-hmm. through all of that. Yeah. Um, is there a, when you look back at all of the animation that you've done, is there sort of a, a favorite voice or favorite character that you think about that you really Yeah, well, love? it's Bobby, hands yeah. down. I was just wondering if you'd be my date to Joseph's party. Uh-huh. <laughs> All right. Come on, it'll be fun. Please? Please, 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 please. Connie, don't hang up. He <laughs> he's he's totally my favorite. On on Better Things we find out that Sam was the voice of Rooster on Ching of the Mill. Yes. <laughs> and there's a there's more of that this season. Uh coming up uh where there's possibly going to be a reboot and you don't know whether they now they're you're not sure if you're going to get the part. Was that based on anything that happened in real life? Because I know there was talk of a King of the Hill reboot a couple of years ago, but I don't think it, yeah. was, it hasn't happened. And I just, I, 
it was just there. It was yeah. ripe for the picking. <laughs> it was almost low hanging fruit, you know, because I didn't. I mean, it's just it's so lazy because mm-hmm. last year I had um, Manish say, "I know who you are." I know you, uh, you're Rooster and Ching of the Mill, and I love that show. And I like wrote that as a placeholder as, yeah. in the script, and I thought, oh, I'm going to make up another. Yeah, can't be and that. And so we went with it, and so then um, I love that scene. That's one of my favorites, and there's an Easter egg. There's a couple of Easter eggs in that scene. Mm-hmm. I don't want to tip it, but... Yeah. Um, and Mike Judge. Well, there you go. Yeah, you just tipped it. No, that was the Easter egg. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, that was really fun and he was totally game to yeah. do that. And, um, I just was like, I know Jeffrey Nordling like had all this dialogue and I never thought Mike would come down to mm-hmm. do this scene, just stick his head in. Yeah. Um, and so I just like, you know how we say ship in between takes, you know, like, Hey, I, 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 I'm getting a vasectomy, whatever. And he just ran with it and then he <laughs> made up that whole thing. And yeah. so... Uh, it's something for the animation yeah. nerds. Mm-hmm. I mean, in the show, your character is very excited about the prospect of a reboot of the show. Yeah. Is that how you would feel in, in real life? If that uh, was on the yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. You would do it. Of course. I mean, that that show is, is a huge part of my my story, mm-hmm. you know, and um, my just um, putting food on my table. Mm-hmm. What did you What did you learn working with Mike Judge? Because he's such a prolific uh, guy as well, and has done so much different kind of stuff. And you don't have to do just one thing. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I feel like that that's the thing that when I was coming up, um, I was very myopic in terms of what I thought I could do professionally. Mm-hmm. And so, if somebody had just kind of you know pressed me. Um, I wouldn't have been just sitting on my thumbs waiting for the phone to ring for an acting job. Mm-hmm. Um, later on in my father's life, um, he was the first person who ever put the term reinventing yourself in my brain. Yeah. He was doing that in his life. He was going and he was teaching, he was doing story writing workshops and he would go to uh, different places and teach people how to write their story. And, um, you know, my dad was a, um, a writer and a producer, but he also wrote books and comics when I was growing up. And my mother did a whole bunch of things. She supported us while my dad was trying to get mm-hmm. paid as a writer. So I really came from people who were um, juggling many different uh, plates in terms of uh, what they could do and different abilities. So what have been the times in your career that you've had to reinvent yourself? Um, I, when I was, <clears throat> there was a significant point when I had my kids mm-hmm. and I thought, I don't know if King of the Hill is going to run forever. Mm-hmm. And I should probably get back out there. Yeah. And so that's when um, I started. I think a turning point for me was the show Unscripted. Oh, yeah. I love that show. It was great. And so it was, you know, Grant and George, my friends, and mm-hmm. they were did the show with Steven Soderbergh. And it was kind of like a head-cracking 
open moment where I was like, wait, you don't run out of film? <laughs> like, I'd been out of it for that yeah. long. Um, and I, I was able to do that. And then I just... I knew I, I've always had a work ethic and the most important thing is keep working, mm -hmm. keep providing. And so um, I think that came from the fact that my dad was when he turned 50, basically the lights went out in terms of people wanting to hire him yeah. because he went through ageism as a, a male writer. Yeah. Which if he's going to go through that, then you probably had, had fears about going through that yourself yes, exactly. in this industry. Um, did Unscripted kind of lead to Californication in a way? or I think so because, yeah, Californication was a, was a big turning point for me too, yeah. as was Bed of Roses. Mm -hmm. um, you know, these were all like kind of the, the things that kept my little Jenga pile with all the pieces of the <laughs> bad metaphor <clears throat> but yeah californication was a big deal because that year i remember i did david e kelly put me in this show called wedding bells mm -hmm. and um then he wrote me into this arc on boston legal and californication i was supposed to be in the pilot and that was it yeah. and then top Tom Kapanos kept writing for me mm -hmm. and it was what a gift. Yeah. Um, and it was, it was a huge, that was a huge turning point for me. Like, mm -hmm. Oh, I'm, I'm here. I'm playing with the big boys now, you yeah. know, up next, we look back at some more highlights from Pamela's prolific career, including a darkly hilarious story about her time on the red Fox show and the years she spent working closely with Louis CK. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So, take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Do you know when Crystal Pepsi was discontinued? What was in Al Capone's vault? Or which famous meteorologist is Lenny Kravitz's second cousin? If not, then you haven't spent enough time on Wikipedia. But that's okay, because you can learn it all on the new podcast, WikiHole, from Smartless Media. Discover the craziest rabbit holes on Wikipedia with host and friend of the last laugh, Darcy Carden, and her favorite comedian friends, as they bring the cyber frontier directly to your tympanic membrane. And if you listen to WikiHole, you will learn that's the sciencey term for eardrum. 
Wikihole is a hyperlink roller coaster, starting out on one Wikipedia page and then going from link to link to link to link, careening through trivia, oddities, and unexpected connections until everyone wonders, how the hell did we get here? Follow Wikihole on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. And you can listen to Wikihole ad-free by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. So I want to go back now a little bit and talk about some of your earlier uh, credits that we that we haven't gotten a chance to talk about yet Hilarious. and um, see if there's a story or, or memory that kind of pops to mind. So um, I think <clears throat> we have to start with Grease 2, which is your first movie role, 1982, right? Yeah. Um, so that what what uh, when you think about that experience, uh, what what do you think about? It's so funny because everybody talks about it now, <laughs> which is amazing to me. So there's this whole like, you know, thing like the people who love Greece, too, and mm-hmm. then the people who love Greece. And, yeah. you know, I grew up with Greece and I couldn't believe that I was cast in Greece, too. Um, and. Basically, the years after we did it, I just felt like shame because people were like, it's the worst movie ever. And how dare you and everything. And I was like, oh, shit. But I had the (laughs) best time of my life. I was like out of my mind. Mm -hmm. And um, and now we could all be proud of it. I know the songs are unbelievable by Louis St. Louis. Mm -hmm. You know, I just I think it's great. I think it's great. So uh, I'm very proud to be in these two. <laughs> My first movie. Yeah. Well, it's pretty late. I think I better walk you home. Oh, I don't need a babysitter. Okay. Well, why don't you think of it as a date? Okay. Well, why didn't you say so in the first place? Come on. You know, when I'm in the 12th grade, I know I'm going to be the head of the pink ladies. You had a recurring uh, role in, or on the the Red Fox show, which mm-hmm. is fascinating. So, do you have any good Red Fox stories? Yeah. <laughs> do I have any good Red Fox stories? I have so many. Okay. I auditioned for that show in drag as Paul Siegel. Mm-hmm. My hair was completely cut off, and I looked like a dude because they were trying to cast. They were a, trying a to boy. cast a boy. Yeah. And so I taped my my breasts down with like an ace bandage, and um, I went into each phase, uh, and like the the producers would shake my hand like mm-hmm. I was a young man, and um, and I went to network as Paul Siegel. That was my name, and I stayed away from the other guys that I was auditioning with. Mm-hmm. There were five. Yeah. And I was like, I don't want to give myself away. And then... Um, Whose idea was it to do this? The, yours you know, or... this was uh, my agent at the time um, and Bob Gersh and uh, Barbara Miller, mm-hmm. who was the head of casting. I think it was Lorimar. But I had just done some stuff where... I think I'd done an episode of Night Court where I was like cross-dressed... Mm-hmm. Not cross, yeah, but I was trying to fool everybody. Yeah, there was a whole phase of my life <laughs> where it. Oh, I had done this movie called Something Special. Yeah, and I played a girl who um, throws a crystal at the eclipse, and I wake up and I have a penis because I really want to be a mm. guy. Yeah, and so because I'd done that movie, um, they thought I should do this. So I went 
it basically got the job <laughs> and Red always was like, I always knew you was a girl. <laughs> like he was not having it. But um, we had an amazing time. And then I think that uh, th- that Red and everybody got too spooked that I was like this this little white girl who would be like hanging out with him in his apartment and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Like it so, was creepy? Yeah, like that would be problematic um, <laughs> once my gender was revealed. Yeah. And so then I got replaced by Sinbad. Oh, wow. And well, I would make a of joke. Of all the people to be replaced by. I know. <laughs> and I would say for years and years, he gets all my parts. So I ran into him one day at yeah. like a mall and I was like, yo, I just want to say hi. <laughs> but still, it was devastating to yeah. be um, told. Yeah that I wasn't coming back and I was fired and that's one of those I've been fired moments of Mm -hmm. my life that helped kind of shape me and create better things. Yeah. Is there, I feel like we still didn't get a good Red Fox story though. So is there anything else that comes to mind? Oh my God. (laughs) There are so many. Uh, I'm going to keep a lot of them out of it. But one was that um, I was in his trailer with him and we were watching the space shuttle take off Mm. And I didn't realize it had exploded. Oh, the Challenger? Yeah. Wow. And uh, because you didn't know like, what was how... happening. Yeah. yeah. And so, um, okay, here's one great red story. He would say, you got the best teeth. I'll pay you $7 million if you let me suck your teeth. <laughs> Don't have $7 million, Prince. And he had this guy, Prince, uh, Roger's. Uh, I forget Prince's last name, but he not was, Prince Prince. No, he was like his <laughs> his man, Jerome, who was yeah. with him all the time. And he was a, a famous tap dancer. Mm-hmm. And he would say, tell her I got seven million million dollars. Open my safe. He would basically <laughs> offer me seven million dollars to suck my teeth. Suck which, your teeth. I've never heard that one before. That's, he loved yeah. my teeth. Wow. That's mm-hmm. something. Is it true that you auditioned for Friends? We all did. Everybody did? Every single one of us. (laughs) Everybody who's my age and 10 years earlier and 10 years later, we all auditioned for Friends. Yeah. What do you remember about the the audition? I don't remember anything about it. I remember being at at, uh, NBC and, you know, kind of just, it was like we were all there. Mm Mm-hmm. And it was just a show. It was just yeah. another show, like every other show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But David Schwimmer got, got it, and and he and I went to high school together. Oh, so that was kind that's of very cool. fun. And now, my daughter, it's like Jesus to her. It's unbelievable. My youngest daughter, Friends or David yeah. Schwimmer. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I know so many episodes, and it's on in my house so much, yeah. and it makes me laugh so hard. Mm-hmm. And it's just. You know, we have a friend staying with us from Copenhagen, and she knows the show inside and out. Yeah, and it's, just, it's unbelievable. Yeah, it's it's kind of incredible. Yeah. Uh, so one more thing on King of the Hill is that you you won an Emmy for uh, your voice work on that show. Um, so what was what was the experience like of uh, of winning an Emmy? And I believe it was for the, uh, the That's My Purse episode, which is a very famous uh, yeah episode. Give me your purse now. That's my purse. Don't be afraid to shout it. That's my purse! Try it again. That's my purse! I don't know you! 
Well, I was very pregnant. Yeah. And one of the producers, Joe Boucher, called me and he said, um, Pam, you want an Emmy? And I was like, what? <laughs> and he was like, yeah, you won an Emmy. We won an Emmy. And I was like, how do we know? Yeah, because they just kind of announce it for he those said, categories? Well, well it was a, it's a juried award. Oh, okay. So it's a peer group award. And so I was like, that's amazing. Congratulations. And he said, no, no, no. You won an Emmy. You for voice person. And I was like, what? So then I went to the Emmys and um, it was just kind of an amazing, incredible experience to, I I was super pregnant and I had to go to the bathroom and there was no order in how they did it. Mm -hmm. So I was terrified to miss it. And um, I remember, I think Cloris Leachman handed me my Emmy. Wow. And I'm, she's my hero, idol. And then backstage, um, Diedrich Bader was backstage and he just looked at me and he said, this is so cool. This is so cool. (laughs) And Diedrich and I have worked together for years and years. And I looked at him and I thought one day I'm going to work with him and I'm going to put him in something. And now I got to. He's so great in the show, especially in this season. He, He gets to do some, some really great work. Yeah. Yeah. I do want to just briefly touch on Louis the show because it's a show that I love and I think your work on it as an actor and a writer was fantastic. And I think it's clearly had some influence on better things. Um, So when you think about that show and that experience, kind of how do you what do you think about it now? I learned so much. Mm -hmm. Um, It was for me uh, the biggest kind of crash course in what I'm doing right now Mm -hmm. Um, in terms of like run and gun and get things going and being able to be in scenes and direct scenes. And um, it it was, it it was an incredible um, masterclass for Mm -hmm. me, you know, because in terms of writing, which people would not imagine I learned so much from King of the Hill mm-hmm. in terms of you you wouldn't think that my show Better Things has to do with that, but it's like the air and the spaces that would be in that show. And so, um, yeah, I mean, it definitely shaped me. Mm-hmm. There's a scene uh, from last season of Better Things that reminded me of something on Louie, and it's the one where you're in the car with the with the husband of your friend, mm-hmm. and he tries to kiss you, and you kind of shut him down with that long no, 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 which is mm-hmm. it's just a fabulous scene. No! No, 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 Jeff, no! No, 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 Jeff, no! No, 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 Jeff, no, Jeff. It reminded me of the scene in Louis where he tries to kiss you and it kind of plays out very differently. So is, were um, you thinking about that at all? Or was it, is there a relationship between those two not scenes? A, n- not, not at all because uh, Louis and I wrote the no Jeff, no scene together Hmm. so that didn't even come up it just that was the way we kind of um beat out the scene so you kind of collaborated on both of those scenes Uh, then yeah yeah Yeah. 
Um, what what was the in terms of the one from Better Things? What was the sort of idea behind behind that scene, or what were you trying to say? It was you know it was born from uh, Jeff being kind to Sam mm-hmm. and the fact that um, you know they're in this small intimate space and they're he's kind of an outcast and she's the only person who's been nice to him. And he turns it around and he's being nice to her and they kind of lean into each other mm-hmm. and Sam snaps out of it. Yeah. And so it's it's her saying no to both of them, mm-hmm. to herself yeah. and to, to Jeff. And there there are so many no's in the scene and it's not written that way mm-hmm. just because... I wanted to cover it from every angle. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we shot it in this beautiful international truck and the back window looks like a TV. So yeah. I had to cover the fuck out of it from mm-hmm. there. And then from the driver's side, each side. And my editor, Deb Simone, she threw almost all of them into the cut. Yeah, it goes on for much longer than, you, than you're expecting. <laughs> it, it, I mean, it's not scripted that way. Yeah. And so I sat and watched it with her and I was dying i was rolling and um we delivered it the way mm-hmm. she cut it and then the note from the network was like maybe a little <laughs> it's the tonnage of the nose yeah and so we took some of them out but they really let us keep it heavy and then now the scene's iconic yeah. but it's just it was like the perfect storm of knowing that cromer was going to be able to to slay Mm -hmm. because his eyeballs his eyes under my hand (laughs) is the funniest thing in the world and then just doing having all the different colors and no 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 no, you know all of Mm -hmm. that and then uh the secret sauce my editor uh, delivering just this beautiful cut Mm -hmm. um in terms of the scene from louis is there anything, if you had to do that over again, would you do it any differently? Because I know it got a lot of attention at the time and then more attention. And um, No, I wouldn't no. do it differently. Yeah. Mm-mm. You feel like it, it is what it is and yeah. just telling that story that you Absolutely. wanted to tell. Yeah, okay. I'm proud of that scene. Um, looking ahead, uh, you have two movies at South by Southwest, which mm-hmm. where I'll be, so I'm hoping to see both of them. Um, King of Staten Island. Yeah. And Holler. Yes. Uh, with Jessica Barden, who's in uh, this season as well of Better Things. Um, yes. Can you just talk a little bit about those two movies and kind of what what to, what people can expect from them? <laughs> um, I don't. You know, I kind of I think I'm going to be surprised myself. Really? Yeah. But um, two completely different experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, both great. Uh, I was so excited to work with Judd. Mm-hmm. And Pete yeah. and um, my have scenes with Pete Davidson. Yeah, my scenes are with Pete and Bill Burr, oh, who wow. I fell in love with. Yeah, and that must have been fun. Yeah, it was just it was a singular experience to be in Staten Island with Pete Davidson. <laughs> it was like being at Disneyland with Mickey Mouse yeah. and just like. You know, that's, I mean, he's the face of Staten Island, mm-hmm. and he's very, very sweet. Yeah. Um, really kind, um, and we just played. And yeah. Judd, you know, has, uh, I think that he and I, not to 
compliment myself, but we work in the same kind of mm-hmm. way. We trust actors. We'll talk about keep the keep the camera rolling and yeah, see what happens, right? Exactly. And um, so uh, that was great. I really uh, I really enjoyed doing that, and uh, I would exchange recipes with the teamster who drove me in <laughs> every nice. day to work. And um, then doing Holler was uh, so out of my wheelhouse because I had to go to Chillicothe, Chillicothe, Ohio, mm-hmm. which I have no reference to that. And I went from New Orleans in February. Oh, yeah to Ohio and um it was incredible and um Jess I didn't know anything about her my my daughters were really kind of into uh the idea of me working with her cuz they know the end of the fucking world yeah. and she was she was amazing and uh I mean I couldn't believe this like this little sex pistol girl from you know like she's like a rude yeah. boy was playing this american yeah it was, I, I can't wait to see that because her accent is like such a big part of who how i think about her um see, so it should be interesting it just yeah it should be very interesting so this was a long time ago and i don't remember much mm-hmm. of the movie but i remember i wanted to do it because nicole regal is um an ex i think she's army she's a vet mm-hmm and she's a female filmmaker, and um, it was just something that I I knew I wanted to do. So, um, yeah, it's crazy. And is that how you ended it. up putting Jessica in your show? Yeah, yeah. Because she came to L.A. and I was like, "Come over and have dinner." And then that night when she was in my house, I was like, "Oh, I'm putting this bitch yeah. in my show." Yeah, <laughs> she's great. Um, so we end every episode by asking, uh, "Who is?" a comedian or person that you've worked with or someone who makes you laugh the hardest? Um, I, there's certain people that I don't ever want to work with again because it's painful. Bradley Whitford is one of them. <laughs> uh, I did an episode of Monk with him, mm-hmm. and I, I oh, it was painful. Painful. Yeah, he's just cracking jokes the whole time on, he, on set. He's just naturally funny. Yeah. He's brilliantly funny. Um, you know... Like I was saying, Kevin Pollack, Greg Cromer, mm-hmm. um, uh, people that I just um, are nutrition to me are like people like Kristen Wiig. I think she's unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Um, she just makes me happy. Yeah. You know, Will Ferrell, I did a series with him and um, it, was, it was the Oblongs. He played my dad. Oh, yeah. I was very pregnant with my third daughter, Rocky, <laughs> and... Um, you you just when you're around yeah. people. So you were in the studio recording with him. Or, yes. Yeah. What was that like? It's just like a next level thing, <laughs> you know, because you know their voices just work. Mm-hmm. You know, it just it, it it's you you just know that it's it, it's kind of um, it goes above the material. Yeah. Um, and uh, I mean. I just worked with Sterling K. Brown and we, we were just dying, dying laughing. Just when somebody's open to, mm-hmm. to you and your, your sense of humor and you just kind of, you get like, you shimmer together, you know, and, yeah. and you shimmer when you're around certain people. Well, thank you so much for doing the show thank today. You, um, and congratulations on the new season of Better Things. It's fantastic. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. 
Yay! All right, that was me and Pamela Adlon from two years ago today. The fifth and final season of her show, Better Things, premieres with two episodes this coming Monday, February 28th on FX and will be available to stream on Hulu after that. And we will be back with an all-new episode next Tuesday. If you want to support The Last Laugh, please help us out by leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. We want as many people to hear this show as possible, and you can help by spreading the word and sharing it with your friends. You can find me on Twitter at Matt Wilstein and at TheDailyBeast.com. And if you're not already, please follow at Last Laugh Pod on Instagram, where you can see photos and videos from all of our episodes and see who is coming up next week on the show. The Last Laugh is distributed by Acast for The Daily Beast, with audio production by Jesse Cannon. Our theme music is by Claude, who you can find on Instagram at claude.mp3. You can find this show every week on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And as always, you can find show notes and highlights from each episode on thedailybeast.com. See you next week.